family, uh, for example, Sister Chapman. But I don't want to go through the work it takes every day to keep everybody smiling. Amen. Or the work it takes every day or just having the children, you know, let alone taking care of them. So you take out the work, you take out the journey in the middle, you know, that to me is that entitlement attitude that Simon had. You're looking at the glamour of it, like, I want to be able to lay on hands and heal people. You don't know what position that puts you in. Remember, Jesus got tempted by the devil. You know, he got the devil's attention. You know, Satan took time off of his roaming and all that stuff. He ain't omnipresent. Mm -hmm. And he took however long he was in the desert tempting Jesus just to get him to break what he knew he was there to do. So, I mean, to me, I think that is a big thing that there's way too much of today. And that, to me, was Simon's biggest downfall. Amen. Very good. In that um, moment. E Evangelist Nesbitt. The other thing that was interesting was that he went to uh, ask the, the apostles, wanted to buy this power from the apostles as if they had it to give. So it's still, you know, it's still showing that he doesn't understand. It's like, like one magician said, well, how do you do that trick? Show me how to do it so I can do it. And so he, he's looking to man to give him the power of God. Yeah. Amen. And, and that and that again goes to what we said about him: lack of understanding. Green just does not understand how this thing works. He's mesmerized by it. He allowed it to do to him what he was doing to the people. He wanted them to see certain things so they would feel certain things and that's the danger we run into many times when we get too caught up in the emotion of what's being said it's it's nothing wrong in and of itself if you feel good about the word that comes to you that's wonderful if it causes you to cry because you know it's true that's fine that's wonderful. That's beautiful. But that is not enough. Your tears are the recognition that you have that it has affected you in such a way. Hearing it and confirming what you know. But it's a whole nother thing to apply that word in your life and to believe it in that sense. If somebody can tell you something that sounds good, uh, a, a guy can tell a girl, a girl can tell a guy something about themselves that makes them smile, that makes them giggle, that makes them laugh out loud. All these things, complimentary, flattery, all of that stuff can be done. Manipulation of words to pull a reaction out of you. But in the end, what does it actually mean? It's so beautiful. Never seen no one so beautiful. Okay. You know what I say about beauty? It's like art in a museum. It can capture your attention. And you may even stop to look at it and marvel at it for a time. 
But it's only going to do so much because after a while, even as beautiful as the painting may be, your feet hurting will become more important to you. Your not eating something becomes a lot more important to you. How many people do you know or know of that have ever seen a painting or a sculpture that was so beautiful that they begged to be locked in the museum when they closed? No, it's over. All right, well, we'll head somewhere else. Or they stare at it for a few minutes and they move on to something else. Because that's what outside beauty is. It, that can't be enough. It's not enough. And you can't just get it on the surface. And this week, we're looking at the story of the eunuch from Ethiopia. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Where is Ethiopia? Africa. Africa. Now, hold on. Before we, we get too far away... And this is just to bring up a point when people start talking about the origins of your religion and all this stuff and how we learned Christianity first when we came to America. Are you kidding me? Ethiopia. That's in Africa. And this is in the book of Acts. That's when they started out. That's one of the places that they were able to hit. Don't let them tell you that it was, it was forced to you. No, sometimes the stuff is present there and you just reject it. You reject it in Africa and you reject it when, you, when it's here. People rejected it on the boat. People rejected it in chains. People reject it today. It cannot be forced onto you. You cannot force a person to believe in God. He doesn't make it that way. He doesn't make it. It's something that he can reveal to you. The truth. You can't force somebody to believe the truth. They have to decide to. They can go along with the program. You can't force them to believe that. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So we start off here in verse 26. We'll look at the first portion of it. We'll go through verse 33. And this is from the message translation. Do you have the King James? More power to you. That is the one we normally use. And that's the one we usually teach from. Uh, this one is just... I, I guess the word razzle-dazzle comes to mind. Later, God's angel spoke to Philip. At noon today, I want you to walk over to the desolate road that goes from Jerusalem down Gaza. He got up and went. He met an Ethiopian eunuch coming down the road. The eunuch had been on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and was returning to Ethiopia where he was 
minister in charge of all the finances of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. He was riding in a chariot and reading the prophet Isaiah. And just so that everybody has it in front of them, I want to make sure that... So, so far we know that there is an Ethiopian eunuch who is in charge of finance to the queen of the Ethiopians. So there is a direct tie here to Ethiopia. And he's reading the book of Isaiah. How did he happen upon that? Was he just reading it? In his spare time, let's let's look a little further. The spirit told Philip, climb into the chariot. Running up alongside, Philip heard the eunuch reading Isaiah and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? He answered, How can I without some help? And invited Philip into the chariot with him. The passage he was reading was this as a sheep led to the slaughter. And quiet as a lamb being sheared, he was silent, saying nothing. He was mocked and put down, never got a fair trial. But who now can count his kin since he's been taken from the earth? Now, for those of us who have this understanding, as soon as you hear it, it does not sound mysterious. It sounds like what? Churches? Jesus. Jesus. Crucifixion. Jesus. Confirmation of what we know. Because the prophet Isaiah said it. And it's important. All these details are important. What he was reading. One of the the most recognized prophets in the Bible, I would say, especially in the Old Testament, would be Isaiah. A lot of what we look at in terms of prophecy comes from Isaiah. He's not the only one. There's Ezekiel. There's Jeremiah. There's Jonah. They're all prophets. But Isaiah is speaking specifically of someone. And there's a question that will come after this. Um, and we're going to deal with that. But we're going to look at this also in the King James Version. Uh, go ahead, Sister Chapman. I was just thinking, that is just so God. Like, that is just so God for that to be what he's reading. Like, that's the point the party's on. Like, he could have been anywhere else, but... He happens upon him when he's reading this particular scripture, which I just think again shows how God's in the midst of it all. And God always He knows how to orchestrate things for his purpose and for our gain and for our benefit. 
So it's like, it's so comforting to know that when we just trust the Lord or we find ourselves seeking Him with our whole heart, He's going to give us what we need. He's going to put things in place so that those things we're seeking to know will get those answers. Amen. And that that's very important for us to keep in mind as we're reading this. Something that she says so simple. He could have been reading any passage in the Bible or in the scriptures or the prophets because the Bible, quote unquote, had not been assembled uh, at that point right. in the history. It was still living out the pages. But he came upon this particular one as God is leading. This is so important what she said. Because when we are led by God, you know why a lot of us can't get this move like Philip? Well, what's one of the things that Philip did in this passage that we just read? That we today, I'm not speaking necessarily specifically to an individual, but in general, people today, Christians today, believers today, don't have that Philip experience because there are things that he did that we tend to have trouble doing. Anybody notice anything that he did that we may have trouble doing today? Well, first I'd just start with the go to Gaza. You know, just go down the road. You know, if you, if you read the way it says it in, um, did I say it wrong? Gaza. Yeah. In King James, it says, Arise, go towards the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is a desert. Mm -hmm. You know, the fact that it's specified that it's like, who's going to... To me, it's like... I am cheesing too much. <laughs> He didn't say go to a destination. He said go to a path. Mm -hmm. And that to me is so beautiful because it makes me think about Abraham. You know, when God doesn't say go to this place, go to a path and just keep going. Yeah. And his destination was the road. Yeah. You know, his destination wasn't a pit stop, wasn't a safe house. It was the road that he would travel down. And he met the man along the road. Yeah. So that just—that's—that's that's very good. God didn't tell him to go to a place. He told him to go to a path. Go in this direction. That sounds like something he told someone else. Other than Abraham. Abraham. Oh. Say it with your chest. Sorry. Abraham, go to a place that I will show you. You notice how all these similarities are with people when they're doing what God is saying to do? A lot of it resembles the obedience of Abraham, the heart of David, the zeal of Josiah. They're very similar because it's the Spirit of God. Um, Evangelist Nesbitt. I was going to say the um, the first thing that I noticed is that the scripture said the angel of the Lord spoke unto him. Then the next verse it says, and he rose and went. Yes. So That's what I was he, he, he obeyed immediately. 
you know, sit around and ask a lot of questions and well, what's it going to look like and how I'm going to know which one of you and he just got up and went. Uh-huh. And that's why I think that, and when you're talking about how God has everything so planned, there was a person there, he's going to be reading this, he didn't explain all that to him because he didn't have to. Right. He told him what to do, and the angel told him what to do, and he got up and went. And that's one of the things that we don't do a lot of times today. We want we gotta have all the answers. We need, we need to ask all these questions. Well, I need to make sure. How about you just trust God? Yeah. You say go, let me know who's there, let me know where you're gonna be at such and such a time if you leave when he tells you to. So that immediate obedience is what I and I thought about but as you were saying, Abraham, who did also just got up and went. Amen. That is, that is a, a real struggle for us today. God says go. We, we wait for him to say where. He just points in a direction and expects us to go. Like, well, what do we do when we get there? Why are you worried about that? Why are you worried about tomorrow? If God told you more, you know what you would require to know? More. Because the, the more he tells you, the more you're going to want to know. But, well, okay, well, if you want me to go there, then well, why would I stop along the way? Just go on the path. Just, just go on the path. And live where you are. And listen for my voice. And don't harden up your heart. We need so much spilled out for us today. Why are we so hard at it? God says to do it. Well, well, see, it's not always that. What it is sometimes is we don't know if God's telling us to do it or not. That's the thing that people run into as well. Well, I want to make this decision, but I'm not sure if this is what God wants. Well, I'm going to tell you something. There's not a secret to this. And I'm going to tell you a way that you can apply something to your life to find out, is this what God wants me to do? You about to give me the keys to the kingdom? Let, let, me, let me open up the door for you so you can see in. This is what you do. Ask yourself first, how does what I do affect my flesh? And how does what I do affect my spirit? That's one thing to do. That's one way to know. And if you're honest with yourself, we'll find more times we're trying to appease our flesh. But go a step further. How does what I do bring glory to God? And how does what I do bring glory to me. And it's sometimes not the thing itself that you do, but it's why you do it. That makes it something where it's not either the thing to do or the time to do it. Or it may not be for you to do. David wanted to build a house for God. Is that wrong? To want to do that? For David it was. 
It was noble. But it was not the will of God. So in turn for him to want to do something that's not the will of God is not good. Now, how do we resolve that situation? When he was told no, how did he respond? He accepted it. This ain't the will of God. But he still worked to make sure that his son could do it. You see the difference in the mindset? How does this bring glory to God? But then how does it bring glory to me? They were already singing songs of David. Look in our own lives. What is it that you want to do for God? Where is he telling you to go? Is he telling you to do something and you're having trouble understanding him saying it? Or are you trying to do something and having trouble hearing whether or not he's saying yes? There's a difference. One is his plan handed to you. One is your plans handed to him. And when we don't hear an answer, we're like, oh, I'm just waiting on God's answer. Well, look at your plans. Where, where in there does he get the glory? Well, I'm going to tell people that he did it. Okay. But you're buying a bunch of scratch-offs. You're gambling. But I'm going to give him the credit for it. Mm -hmm. We cannot fool God. When Philip was told to go, he got up and went then. He didn't wait for a destination. He didn't wait for an assignment. He just went on the path and found somebody there. He didn't know that's where he was going. He didn't know that's who he was going to encounter. He just happened upon a man who was reading the book of Isaiah. And in that book, it spoke of one whom the eunuch did not even know. What did it say? The place of the scripture in verse 32, the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before his shearer. So opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch, verse 34, answered Philip and said, I pray thee. Of whom speaketh the prophet of himself or of some other man? Boy, that makes me think about another incident. What am I thinking of? When they were trying to find out, are you the one? Or shall we look for another? And what did Jesus tell those hungry disciples? What did he tell them to tell John? Who 
was sending word to him asking about who he was. He told them to go and tell him what they had seen, what they had experienced. Tell him the blind eyes are open. Evangelist Nesbitt. Well, you were saying that the scripture says to, to tell him what they have seen, that the, the uh, blind see, the deaf hear, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Yeah. And that was one of the things that we went into. Not the poor have money now. The poor have the gospel reached to them. Because what, why is that so important for them to know? If being blind, the result uh, or the answer to that is sight. All right, they received their sight. The um, deaf who could not hear can hear. Well, the blessing is their being able to hear because it's what they lacked. But the poor have the gospel preached to them. And it's all reminders of what the scriptures say. It's, it's indications that of what people would have known specifically from the scriptures the Messiah would do. Mm -hmm. So when he's saying, go and tell them these things, those who would know it's going to trigger them, he's here. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Uh, Sister Chen? I was going to say the fact that it says the poor receive the gospel is showing the need that's being met, what the need is. And then it also makes me think that it's available, that you don't have to have money. You don't have to have um, a certain status in order to receive it, that it's available to you. Because if it's available to the poor, it's available to anyone. And then also the fact that you would think that what a poor, the poor need is money. You're saying that the need of the poor is the gospel. And when we look at that, the gospel gives them what they need, their immediate need. When they are poor, without, they lack hope. And the gospel gives them hope. When they are poor, they are in bondage to some system. But the gospel is the truth. And the truth shall make you free. When you see somebody walking around hopeless, there's a difference. It's not about how much money they have or don't have. It's a difference. You've seen people, old Folks walking around don't have a whole lot of money but know a whole lot of Jesus and walk with as much confidence as somebody who looks at a block with houses on and say, you know what, I want that. That kind of confidence. Because their confidence is not in the material things. Their hope is in God. He asked, who is he talking about? Is he talking about himself? 
or is he talking about another? Here's the thing. In verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture. Began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. He asked him, who is he talking about? And he went right to that scripture and preached to him Jesus. The truth about God is that he is love. And the truth about love is that every commandment and everything God expects of you is fulfilled through love. That seems... Ah, can, you, can you say it a different way? No. What I can say is that if you understood what Jesus said when he said to love God with all you have and to love your neighbor as yourself, and on these hang all the prophets and the commandments. It's fulfilled through this. Jesus was able to fulfill through love because God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. And Jesus coming on earth fulfilled God's will because he allowed God's love to flow through him. I'm not talking about this thing that we call love that's full of emotions or bubble up inside of us for a season or for a moment and, and then it's gone. I, you know, I think I'm going to give away some stuff today and don't have that same attitude tomorrow. Those are feelings. It doesn't mean that those feelings are wrong and that you're not being motivated to do the right thing or a good thing. But if you're depending on your feelings to direct you in where you need to go, it's not enough. Because you're going to feel like that one morning and you're not going to feel like that another. You're going to feel like just spreading joy all around your neighborhood and the world that you live in someday. And then there'll be times where you get some bad news and don't feel the same way but is it right to do love causes you to push past what you feel if this cup can pass feelings nevertheless not my will but thy will be done love there's the difference you don't always do what you feel because you love I just want I want to pour out my love no, you want to pour out your affection and have others be affectionate towards you as a result of that. Amen. There's a difference. Praise the Lord. They preached to him Jesus. And when we come back next week, we're going to look at the response of the eunuch. Look at all of what happened. Look at all of what was said. How does the eunuch respond to what Philip said? 
And I want you to parallel this with one that we just got finished dealing with, who did the same thing and took what they knew and preached to them Jesus. And as a result, it was a different response. Who am I talking about? Stephen. Stephen did the same thing. He took what the people knew. He went even further back. He went all the way to Abraham and brought it on up to Jesus. So there's no confusion. Philip took a passage of scripture and preached Jesus to the eunuch. And let's see if he had the same response. Praise the Lord. This week, our homework question is supposed to come through Sister Ernestina. Do you have a homework question for us today? Um, yes, I do. Uh, I had two in regards to chapter 8 and chapter 9. So the first one was talking about the eunuch and the passage that he read uh, when Philip came on him. Uh, so my question was really just what, how did Philip know that that scripture was referring to Jesus? Or did the new eunuch know when he was reading it? And what scriptures back that up? Um, the second question for chapter 9 uh, I'm not sure if we're going into that yet, but uh, it yeah. would be regarding Saul, and uh, I can't, I don't have the verse on me, but then the verse when he meets G Jesus and Jesus uh, speaks to him, he refers to him as Lord automatically, and my question would be, how did he know to call him Lord? Why does it say that uh, Saul called him Lord automatically? Amen. Praise the Lord. Does everybody have a homework the next week? How did the eunuch know when, I'm sorry, how did Philip know when he was preaching the eunuch to the eunuch, Jesus? How did he know that that would fit right in? And what scriptures back that up? Or passage of scripture backs it up? 